Owning a home is still the American dream, but it comes with plenty of emotional and financial challenges. Join real estate broker Ron Evans each week as he shares the latest industry and local real estate market news through interviews with other agents and industry professionals. If you're confused about today's real estate market or just want to understand the home buying and selling process, this show is for you. Here's your host, Ron Evans. Well, hello again, everybody. It's good to see you here. Let's get right into it. Today is Monday, the 29th of November, and this will be our last Market Matters Monday for November. Yay. So if you've listened before, you'll know that what I do is I just break down the email that comes from CAR, California Association of Realtors, that usually includes four to six highly relatable and suggested real estate articles to read. Um, and these are applicable more on a national level, not just local here to California. So I think everyone can benefit. If you're, if you're working in real estate or you're um, a buyer or a seller and you want to know what's going on in the market nationally, tune in. As always, if you have a question or comment, please leave it below. If you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, I do go through those. And um, starting next week, I am going to start breaking down the top five questions that I get on Tuesdays. We're going to call it Top Five Tuesdays. And those are going to come from people that are not in the real estate industry. So just people on the street that have questions about real estate, what's going on with the market, whatever it is. I'm going to break down the answers the best that I can. And if I need to bring a guest in to help me, I will do so. So you can leave a comment on the podcast or on YouTube, or you can email me direct at realestate101 at ronevansrealty.com. You can also send me a text message, 949-929-2270. And I will be happy to address any questions and comments that you have. <laughs> Excuse me. So let's get right into it. I believe we have one, two, three, four, five, six articles on this episode that I will read through and give you some commentary on. First one comes to us from Market Watch. And it's titled Fannie Mae's Chief Economist and Other Real Estate Pros Tell Us the Three Things You Need to Know About the Housing Market Right Now. What to know if you're thinking about buying a home soon. The housing market isn't an easy thing to pin down, and you're not alone if you're feeling like you're getting mixed messages on the subject. On one hand, mortgage rates are near historic lows. You can still get a 15-year rate near 2%, and some 30-year rates are backed below 3%. And many experts predict they will rise in the coming year. But on the other hand, Housing prices are on the rise and in plenty of areas have become unaffordable for many local families. Those factors are making some potential home buyers wonder, should I buy now? So MarketWatch asked Doug Duncan, Fannie Mae's Senior Vice President and Chief Economist and some other real estate pros, their thoughts on what's going 
on with the housing market and whether now is the time to buy. Mortgage rates remain low, but experts are predicting they will rise. In a recent survey of housing experts published by Zillow, everyone's favorite website and company right now, it revealed that pros expect interest rates to rise to 3.99% by the end of 2022. And for its part, Fannie Mae predicts that interest rates will average roughly 3.4% throughout 2022, up slightly from this year. Other experts we spoke to said the same. Kate Wood, home and mortgage expert at NerdWallet, says we may see a long-lasting upward trend in mortgage rates. And Greg McBride, chief financial analyst at Bankrate, notes that come 2022, the general twin trend will be toward higher rates. Now, my own comments on that is this is something we've heard for years. As you all are aware, these rates have been artificially low for quite some time. What are we pushing, 10 years now at the below 4% level or right at you know 4% or below? And we've been told year after year, this is going to be it. This is going to be the time. Rates are finally going to go up. I think that these artificially low rates and the fact that we've basically been an industry that's cried wolf regarding the raising of interest rates for so long has partially contributed to the fact that we have such an inventory crisis that people aren't wanting to move and what's made the prices of homes go up so much because of supply and demand. I think that if this is the time finally that interest rates do tick up and it sounds like they maybe they will um, and it sounds like they may go up incrementally which is what needs to happen to finally maybe grease the wheels of supply and get people to finally realize that, oh, they are going to go up. Maybe I do need to go ahead and get my home for sale so I can move. We'll get back to more of that later. Let me read on. It's still an extremely competitive market, but things aren't as frenetic as earlier in the year. Home prices have risen roughly 20% over the past year. That is true. And most experts think they will continue to rise, albeit at a slower pace. That is also true, and that's what our local housing expert here in Orange County thinks. But demand for homes is still high. While economic uncertainty could potentially dampen mortgage demand over the longer term, we believe current market conditions remain conducive to home purchase activity as demand for homes continues to far outstrip the supply available for sale. That comes from Fannie Mae's Duncan. There are signs that the market is moderating, if only a little bit. There's been a bit more inventory of homes available for sale to come on the market, and things aren't as frenetic as earlier in the year. That is true, but this is still a very hot housing market where demand far exceeds supply in most markets, says McBride. Now, if you go back and you listen to the previous um, market update that I have posted, you'll understand what's going on, at least here locally in Orange County. And I have a feeling that mirrors other markets throughout the United States too. 
the supply is so, so, so low that even though the demand has waned a little bit, the supply has gone down at a higher rate than the demand has lessened. So we have an all-time low of homes available on the market going into 2022 to start off. We've never seen anything like it here. And I would hypothecate that other areas in the country are seeing the exact same thing. But check out the last market update video and podcast episode, and also the next one that'll come out later this week for more information on that. Stop trying to time the market looking for the perfect time to buy. Instead, focus on your personal circumstances. I can't agree with that more. That's a great statement and a great sentiment. On top of that, you should stop worrying about the price of the home. You're not marrying the price of the home. You need to be marrying the mortgage payment. So if the mortgage payment fits your budget with what you're going to be doing, don't worry about the cost of the home. Don't worry about the fact that over time, the market could correct down a little bit because it's always going to come back up. And as long as you're able to actually afford the monthly payment and marry that monthly payment, you will come out ahead in the long run. The article continues, Fannie Mae's deputy, deputy chief economist, Mark Palum, says timing mortgage rates in the housing market is hard. It's almost impossible. And instead, he recommends buyers look at their own wants and needs. They should focus on personal life circumstances and how long they think they will be in the area, says Palum. If you have locational stability and plan to be in the home for five years or more, Palum says buying instead of renting likely makes the most sense. I completely agree with that. But understand what you can truly afford and don't get caught up in the real estate frenzy. There you go. It's exactly what I was just saying prior to reading this. Making the biggest financial decision in your life under duress is not a recipe for success, says McBride. And I can't agree with that more either. The last thing you want to do is go out and buy a home just because you think this is your last opportunity to buy a home. You still need to make a sound, calculated, and rational decision for what's best for you and your lifestyle, your budget, and your financial future. All right. That is that article. I would love to hear what people have to say about that. Oh, and keep in mind too, in the show notes and in the comments on YouTube or in the uh, description on YouTube, all of these articles will be sourced and the links to them um, will be included so that you can read them on your own and judge for yourself. All right, article number two. This comes from Marketplace. That's the source of this one. And it is titled, The Pandemic Has Changed the Housing Market in More Ways Than One. The S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index came out on Tuesday, showing that in August, the year-over-year increase in home prices was the lowest we've seen since the early days of the pandemic. Hmm. Some of the hottest markets in the country are seeing price growth cool off as seasons change, sort of like they did in the before times. We're not seeing that in Orange County. We're still seeing very high incremental growth because of the short supply and continued high demand. Maybe other parts of the country are seeing this, but we're not necessarily seeing that here in Orange County. 
Now we're not seeing homes sell for tens to hundreds of thousand dollars over list price like we may have, but I think that's more because people are pricing their homes higher right now than they were earlier because they've kind of caught on to the fact that what the true market value is is higher than what the comps might say currently. But let's continue. If you squint hard enough at the data, you may be able to make out a return to normalcy. Mm. But even if and when the pandemic eases, home buying may end up pretty different than what we're used to. Let's start with the home search, the fun part. When you're favoriting Zillow listings, can't you say just online listings with reckless abandon, not thinking about your own down payment, going forward, those listings will be much more high tech. Now you're pretty much, now you pretty much have to have some kind of virtual media, says Aaron Stumpf, a real estate broker in Sacramento. That's true, we've, but we've been doing that since before. Virtual tours operate like Google Maps Street View, except inside a living room. One that may have a virtual furniture. You can actually pay some photographers to virtually stage the house. So stage a vacant photo with furniture and it looks pretty real, Stump said. I'm gonna pause here and just say, that's something I've been doing for years and the people that I work with on my team have been doing for years. Virtual staging is nothing new. If it's new to you as a buyer or it's new to you as a real estate agent, you might want to get caught up because we've been doing this kind of thing for years. And we've also been doing Matterport 3D walkthrough videos for years. That's absolutely nothing new. Um, so I don't know where this article is going, but let's keep, let's keep reading. As with many other industries, the pandemic accelerated technological change in real estate. Appraisals can be done remotely and documents signed electronically, which means we may continue to see shorter escrows just because we can, Stump said. Okay, so we've been using DocuSign forever too. I don't think I've ever, I can count on one hand the amount of contracts or documents I have had to live sign in eight years in this industry. So again, if you're just catching on to things like DocuSign to electronically sign things, yeah, I don't know. Now the appraisals being done remotely, that's new. That's definitely new in our industry, um, doing a lot of drive-by appraisals, external only appraisals not coming in and just looking at the comps. Um, I don't know how I feel about that 100%, to be honest with you, especially if, if you're going to be the first person in a neighborhood selling your home for way above what previous comps have said because nothing has sold in a while. It makes that a lot more difficult if the person can't come in and see the home, you know, if there's unique features, but I guess we'll get there at some point. Think 21 days instead of 30, even if the market regulates. That's what he's talking about on the close of escrow. I will say that we've done escrows as short as 10 days. Even just, even just several years ago, we've been doing them. It just all depends on the financing and the commitment from the buyer and the seller. And quite honestly, some things you can't even do in 30 days. There are still some types of loans out there that are going to need over 30 days, and you're still going to write them as 45 days. So. Again, I don't know where this person is getting all their information um, or who the interviewer was, but it seems like this is kind of outdated that they're trying to make sound new, but let's keep going. Daryl Fairweather, an economist at Redfin, swears the market will cool off someday. 
She doesn't expect concessions buyers are making now, like waiving home inspections and other contingencies, to continue forever, nor the even crazier stuff she hears from agents. In Atlanta, there's even a practice of like giving essentially a cash gift to the sellers, Fairweather said. Well, that's weird. And yeah, the market will correct at some point. It always does. Everything's in a cycle. And so it's not always going to be a hot seller's market. It's not even always going to be a seller's market. At some point, we're going to even out and be a flat market. And we're going to go into a buyer's market. That's called history. That's just called what our industry does over time. These things shouldn't be revelations and shocking. Carly Langston didn't have to give a cash gift to buy her first home in Northern California in June. She just had to pay 30000 above asking. Okay. Langston said the pandemic's housing market legacy will have another aspect. If she ever decides to sell, she'll have very high expectations. When we sell, if we don't have multiple offers waiving everything and giving us well over the price, I'm going to say, what's going on here, Langston said. She's kidding, kind of. Now, that's a problem. And that's a problem within our industry when it comes to buyers and sellers either being given incorrect um, expectations or an incorrect or lack of education of exactly what is causing these things to happen in our market today and why they might not be around when they go to sell. It's all going to depend on what the market is they're selling it on if they should expect the same things to be happening. Five years from now, it may be a buyer's market and you're not going to have the, you're going to have these high expectations and your home's not going to sell. So everything has to be relative to the market that you're in and understanding that. All right, that's the end of that article. I, again, I don't know what I feel about that one. Read it. I think there's a, uh, a podcast even um, attached to this as well. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that one right now. All right, moving on. Here's our third article. This is from CNBC. And it is how to stay competitive using a VA loan in a sizzling housing market. I'm really interested in this because uh, VA lending is something near and dear to me. I love to help out our veterans and I love to help people who actually qualify for a VA loan understand um, what they have available to them because a lot of times I think they're just kind of like, uh, it's not really explained to them. And I also like to be able to sit down with sellers and understand why VA loans are awesome loans to accept and nothing that you should be afraid of as a seller. Time and time again, I find in our industry that agents just aren't educated themselves on how a VA loan works and the benefits of a VA loan. And so it makes sellers um, uneasy about it. Um, and it makes it more difficult to get a buyer, a VA buyer offer accepted than it honestly should be. So let's go through this one. I'm, I'm really interested in this. So there's some bullet key points at the top here. Um, in a sizzling housing market, some military families with VA loans struggle to compete, and that's true. And that's not even in a sizzling housing market, in any housing market, with other buyers and get offers accepted. However, VA loan buyers may stand out by working with a specialized lender, making a down payment or stronger offer, real estate experts say. And I don't disagree with that. There are different types of lenders. Almost any lender can do a VA loan, but there are some lenders that are direct VA lenders 
who ha- who really know the ins and outs of a VA loan and can help you package your offer and package the loan properly to get your offer accepted. So it's very important to know who you're working with on the lending side as an agent um, for your client's VA offer. In the assisting housing market, some military families using VA loans are struggling to buy homes, real estate experts say. Again, it's not just a sizzling housing market, it's any. VA loans, which are mortgages partly guaranteed by the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, financed 14% of home purchases from July 2019 to June 2020. That's actually more than I thought. According to the National Association of Realtors, the loans generally have no down payment, competitive interest rates, no private mortgage insurance, and lower closing costs. However, today's red hot market has some sellers passing over government-backed mortgage offers, such as VA loans, expecting a faster or smoother closing with other options. A little time out here. I totally understand that. Before I get into the more of this article, I can just tell you that um, previously in the previous article, when they talked about getting um, escrows down to 21 days instead of 30 days or, or faster, that's something that you have a hard time with with a VA loan. You're going to need 30 plus days, usually the full 45 um, on a lot of VA loans. And that just has to do with how things work on the inner workings of a VA loan. And it's mainly the appraisal takes forever on a VA loan. And that's something that you, you, we cannot control. However, there are other benefits, in my opinion, that outweigh the time. Let's continue. When the seller wants the most amount of money with the least amount of hassle, said Cedric Stewart real estate agent at Keller Williams in Rockville, Maryland, explaining that sellers worry certain mortgages, such as VA loans, are more likely to fall through. I've never had one fall through, and I've done several. Indeed, 94% of real estate agents said sellers are more, most likely to accept an offer with conventional financing over a government-backed loan, according to an April 2021 survey from the National Association of Realtors. I'll push back on that and again say it. A lot of it is just education, understanding what the loan does and explaining the benefits, how they outweigh any risks. However, many of the concerns about VA loans are outdated. Here we go, said Caitlin Turkovich, veteran and branch manager specializing in VA loans at Union Home Mortgage in Las Vegas. Some 64% of home purchases with VA loans closed in August, according to mortgage software application LMA, compared to 41% of conventional mortgages. So there you go, already dispelling the myth that uh, that 94% of agents think that they don't close as easy as conventional loans. It's just not true. VA loans are actually the easiest to qualify for if you have entitlements, said Turgovich, referring to the amount the VA will repay if the borrower defaults based on minimum service requirements. While it's tough to compete with cash offers, working with a lender who specializes in VA loans may help level the playing field against conventional loan offers said Turkovich. And let's pause there. It's no matter if you're conventional FHA, VA, or what your financing is, if you're going up against a cash offer, it can be very difficult. So that's the outlier in the whole thing, but it has nothing to do with VA specifically. So while it's tough to compete with cash offers, working with a lender who specializes in VA homes may help level the playing field against conventional loan offers, said Turkovich who outlines her expertise in a number of recent VA loan closings and her client's mortgage pre-approval letters. There you go. Make a down payment. One way to stand out is by making at least a 5% down payment, even though VA loans don't require one, Turkovich said, which matches the minimum for some conventional mortgages. And I will agree with that. I tell my VA lender buyers all the time, you know, 
a lot of times they're already approved for a conventional loan and they don't even understand that they have VA as an option. And we switch them to VA. And one of the appealing things about VA is that you can do 100% financing. However, if they are going to have a down payment, it does make it easier for um, a seller to uh, accept that because you now have skin in the game. The 5% down payment also drops the VA loan funding fee from 2.3% to 1.65%. So that goes into your closing costs. So you have lower closing costs if you can pay a down payment. And it would be, and if you have the ability to make that down payment, you'd much rather have it, your money go as a down payment, which helps increase your immediate equity in your home versus closing costs, which don't. In some states, sellers can see how much the buyer can afford to spend up front. And it may make a difference if they list the home for more than the property is worth, she said. Here's why. If someone expects dozens of offers on their home worth $350,000, they may choose a $365 list price. And once offers roll in, they may be comparing buyers down payments. For example, let's say there's a conventional loan offer with a 20% down payment and a VA loan with 0%. If the selling price is $365, but the property appraises for $350, the buyer with zero down needs to find an extra $15,000 since the VA won't approve more than the appraised value, Turkovich said. As a seller, I'm going to assume the buyer with the 0% down doesn't have it, she said, pointing to why accepting the conventional loan with 20000 down may be more appealing. That's an education issue for the seller. That means that the seller's agent hasn't done their due diligence betting all the offers before they present them to make sure, in my opinion, you know, you, it's easy to ask the VA person, the, the, the agent representing the VA buyer, hey, I see you're doing 0% down. Do they have money in the bank to do a down payment if it doesn't appraise? Help me help, me help you level the playing field. We can keep it at 0% right now or zero down payment right now, 100% financing, but I just want to know from you, can the buyer complete this loan if it falls short on appraisal? That's an easy one to overcome. But I do see what they're saying here. If you go ahead and write it in the contract up front that you have the ability to make a down payment, that does make it easier. A stronger offer. VA loan buyers may also compete with a stronger offer, Stewart said, such as paying more than the seller's asking price or waiving contingencies that allow a buyer to walk away under specific conditions. Another move, making a higher earnest money deposit before closing, such as 5% versus the standard 1%, may also catch the seller's attention, he said. The, largest earnest, the large earnest money deposit is another instrument to communicate and ease in the relationship. That's true, too. Um, I do always tell my VA buyers to put a bigger, down, a bigger earnest money deposit down. Now, here in California, um, you, you max it out at about 3% because that's what can be actually at risk. Um, so you try to get them to put as much skin in the game as they possibly can. Um, and even if they're doing 100% financing, I have them do a down payment because that's all going to get credited back. It'll go, either go towards closing costs when close of escrow or be refunded if they are doing 100% financing. They don't have to necessarily use that uh, for the loan. Okay, I like that article. So far, that's, that's been one of the better articles I've read about VA loans and how to make them more appealing. And again, 
at the end of the day, it's the education of the agent who's educating their seller on how VA works. All right, man, we're halfway through. On to our fourth article. This comes from Reuters.com in their business department. U.S. home building drops, construction backlog surges as shortages worsen. U.S. single-family home building tumbled in October, while the number of houses authorized for construction but not yet started jumped to a 15-year high. Underscoring the disruption in the housing market from an ongoing shortage of materials and labor. Though the report from the Commerce Department on Wednesday showed an increase in permits for future home building, the rise was concentrated in the volatile multifamily housing market. This will do little to alleviate an acute shortage of houses on the market, which has led to a record annual gains in home prices. Residential housing construction actively continues to flounder, said Christopher Repke, chief economist at FWD Bonds in New York. There are zoning problems, higher land costs, a lack of labor, and inflation has inflated the cost of raw building materials. Single family housing starts, which account for the largest share of the housing market, dropped 3.9% to a seasonally adjusted annual housing rate of 1.039 million units last month. The fourth straight monthly decline pushed starts to the lowest level since August 2020. Home building fell in all four regions with large decreases in the Northwest, Midwest, and West. The densely populated South, where the bulk of home building occurs, reported a 1.8% drop in single-family starts. Home building has essentially been treading water this year as builders battle shortages and higher prices of raw materials. A survey from the National Association of Home Builders on Tuesday showed confidence among single-family home builders rose for a third straight month in November, but noted that supply-side challenges, including building materials, bottlenecked, and lot and labor shortages remain stubbornly persistent. Lumber, which is used for framing, remains expensive and prices for copper, another essential material in home building are high. In addition, there were about 333,000 job openings in construction industry as the end of September. Some household appliances are also in short supply. Construction costs jumped a record 12.3% year over year in October, according to producer price data published last week. The materials squeeze could ease during winter, a typically slow season for home building in the Northwest and Midwest. I'm sorry, Northeast and Midwest. Slowing demand for houses because of reduced affordability could also help to lessen the pressure on supply. Residential investment contracted for a second consecutive quarter in the third quarter. It is likely to remain subdued in the final three months of the year. Supply chain bottlenecks will likely limit construction activity in the short term, but the supply picture should look better in 2022, said Abby Amodunbi, a senior economist at PNC Financial in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Declining affordability and rising mortgage rates will soften demand in the next year. Stocks on Wall Street were trading lower. The dollar dipped against a basket of currencies. U.S. Treasury prices were higher. Building permits rise. Starts for buildings with five units or more increased 6.8% to a rate of 470,000 units last month, 
Workers returning to offices and schools reopening for in-person learning thanks to COVID-19 vaccinations are fueling demand for rental apartments. With single family home building declining, overall housing starts slipped 0.7% to a rate of 1.520 million units in October. Economists polled by Reuters had forecast starts rebounding to a rate of 1.576 million units. Starts have declined from 1.725 million unit pace scaled in March, which is more than 14 and a half year high. Still, home building remains underpinned by a severe shortage of previously owned homes on the market, which has resulted in double digit house price growth. The backlog of single family houses authorized for construction but not yet started jumped 4.8% to a rate of 152,000 last month, the highest since 2006. Permits for future home building increased 4% to a rate of 1.65 million units in October. Single family permits rose 2.7% to a rate of 1.069 million units, leaving them just above the starts. Permits for buildings with five units or more surged 6.5% to a rate of 528,000 units. Housing completions were unchanged at a rate of 1.242 million units. Single-family home completions dropped 1.7% to a rate of 929,000 units. The stock of single-family housing under construction increased 1.4% to a rate of 726,000 units last month, the highest rate since May 2007. Multifamily homes under construction rose to the highest level in more than 47 years. Over time, the housing backlogs and more inventory could help bring more homes on the market and cool the house price inflation, which has sidelined some first-time homebuyers. A lot will, however, hinge on the supply of building materials and other inputs as well as labor. The recent slowdown in project completions has limited home sales in new communities, said Mark Vittner, a senior economist at Wells Fargo in Charlotte, North Carolina. That said, the growing backlog of projects should keep builders busy for the next couple of years. That is true. All right, moving right along. On the home stretch now, our next article is from Market Watch. It's in their personal finance section, and it is How Will Inflation Affect Americans' Credit Scores? FICO's CEO weighs in. Americans' credit scores hit an all-time high last year. Could high inflation bring them down? Hmm. From a credit score point of view, Americans have fared exceptionally well during the pandemic. Since the start of the pandemic, Americans' average Fair Isaac Corp FICO credit scores increased by eight points to 716. That sounds pretty good. The increase came as government doled out trillions of dollars through stimulus programs and relief measures, coupled with consumers cutting back on spending, partly because of coronavirus restrictions and business shutdowns. That allowed many people to pay off existing debts and temporarily stop taking on more debt to finance their spending. But many of those stimulus measures, including enhanced employment benefits, the eviction moratorium, and the student loan repayment pause, have already ended or soon will. On top of that, inflation levels are at a 31-year high. Americans are paying more for just about everything from gasoline to groceries, which increased by 6.1% and 1% last month compared to September, respectively. 
and are up nearly 50% and 5.4% since last October. That could wipe away some of the improvements Americans have made to their credit scores over the pandemic if consumers, for instance, have to choose between paying for everyday expenses like food and making debt payments on time. To understand more about how inflation could affect Americans' credit scores, MarketWatch spoke with FICO's CEO, William Lansing. MarketWatch, were you surprised that credit scores hit an all-time high during the pandemic when unemployment was so high and much of the economy was locked down? Lansing, it was a little mystery, and I think everyone was surprised. I was a little less surprised than some others. I didn't think we'd have a V-shaped recovery, but I didn't think it was going to be a long drawn out recovery as we had been, as was being predicted. Market watch. How do you think rising inflation will affect Americans' credit scores? Could it depress the national credit score average if inflation keeps rising? Lansing. Inflation by itself, at least at these levels, is not going to have a significant impact on the overall national credit score. But if prices outstrip income, and people wind up taking on more debt, that obviously would have an impact on their FICO credit score. There's also a seasonal component. Typically in the fourth quarter around holiday, holiday time, consumers take on more debt. Christmas time, Christmas gifts, Hanukkah gifts. So if we could see a, so we could see a modest downtick from that. Market watch. What about inflation combined with the fact that many stimulus relief measures that were in place when credit scores hit a record high are no longer in place? Lansing, of course, that could have an impact. The input into the credit score is outstanding debt loads. Anything that causes consumers to take on more debt than they have right now is going to influence their credit score downward. Market watch. Rising inflation is also bolstering the case for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates from the current near zero levels. That, of course, will make it more expensive for individuals to borrow money. How do you see that impacting credit scores, if at all? When these things play out over long frames, one hopes that consumers are sufficiently responsible, that they dial the amount of debt they take on back as they see their interest expense rising. But as a rhetorical, or as a theoretical matter, it absolutely could lower credit scores. I think we see over history, this is my own personal opinion, that we are a nation of consumers and we consume and we consume and we consume. And when we're given the opportunity to consume, we're gonna consume. So I don't know, and this is probably a very pessimistic attitude, but I think history shows that we don't have the ability um, across the board to act responsibly. And I'll just leave it at that. Market Watch. Uh, from Market Watch, the overall increase in credit scores during the pandemic has primarily been driven by consumers who had a credit score below 600 in general. A FICO score between 670 to 739 is considered good, while anything below 580 is considered poor. Consumers who fell into the low-scoring category had on average a 581 score back in April 2020, but by April 2021, those scores jumped to 601 on average. Meanwhile, consumers in the higher-scoring category saw little to no movement 
in their credit scores on average. Do you think that the lower scoring group is more likely to get hurt by rising inflation and therefore drive the credit scores down? Lansing, that's a fair speculation. People who are financially pressed and wind up taking on more debt are more likely to wind up with more pressure on their score. Okay. Um, I think I gave my own commentary on that uh, with that one question, but I'm interested to hear what you guys have experienced. How many of you out there are willing to admit that you were able to pay off debt with some of the things that the government provided and you saw your own scores raise and your debt go down, but now you might be seeing the opposite. And is it just a seasonal fourth quarter holiday spending spree that's causing it to change at this point? Really interested to hear what you guys have to say on that. All right, last article from CNBC. Mortgage demand is up 5% in unusual holiday buying surge. Oh, this one's a video. You're gonna have to just watch this one on your own. I'm gonna watch it and if I have a chance to add some commentary, I will, but I'm gonna go ahead and wrap things up. This, this video is from Diana Olick. Um, from CNBC and she's gonna go over the, in this video, she goes over the um, mortgage demand uh, application data. Usually it's a fully sourced article uh, when, when I do these. This one is just a video, so I apologize for that. I, I'm not gonna play a video while on a video, but um, I will wrap this up and just say again, I appreciate everyone listening, tuning in. Um, I would love to hear your comments. Again, it's Ron, I'm sorry, real estate 101 at ronevansrealty.com is my email. 949-929-2270 is my texting number. You can always leave a question or comment in the comments on whatever podcast platform you're, you're listening on or on YouTube. And I will definitely get back to you. And again, later this week, uh, the newest market update will come out. And then by next Tuesday, I will start answering the top five questions that I get on a weekly basis in a top five Tuesdays episode. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. Folks, I appreciate your continued support. If you haven't already done so, please don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Leave your comments and questions below and I'll get back to you when I can. Have a great day.